day, what a day. Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. JT, back with you, hour number two of the show, as we are brought to you by our good friends at the Henderson Hyundai Superstore, Boulder Highway in Henderson. I'll be out there next week with Frank, as we always like to walk the lot and see the new vehicles, and he turns me on to those award-winning Hyundais, plus all the luxury vehicles, the SUVs, and the best financing team in town. That's the Henderson Hyundai Superstore. If you're over in Henderson, you know where it is. Can't miss it, Boulder Highway. In Henderson, how much do you love this hockey team, the Vegas Golden Knights? For those listening in Vegas, outside our streaming audience, how amazing is it to watch this? I got a text from a good buddy yesterday who told me that he dropped a significant amount of money on the Minnesota Wild last night. And I asked him why. And he said, well, the Wild have been here for a few days. They're pissed off that they blew the 4-2 lead. Their coach was on them hard. Flurry looks tired, and they're going to hammer the Golden Knights. So I don't bet, but he's a sharp guy. He's a guy who bets 5000 a game uh, to that number or, you know, a hockey game around that number. I said, really, you're going all in? He goes, I've never felt better. He got smoked. Okay? Golden Knights came out with the gold sweaters. It was over. Flurry's incredible. And this team brings tremendous energy to this town. If you watch the game, if you were inside the game, that's one of the things. I wanted to get through today. If you were inside the game last night, call me and tell me what it was like. I haven't been in there since COVID. I'm going to be going in there with the credential in a couple of weeks when they come back. What was it like to be in the fortress with limited fans? If you went to the game, call me and let me know what that was like. Where were you allowed to go? What were your limitations? How would you get in the building, leave the building? I'd like to know what that experience was about. I haven't talked to any fan who's been there, and we've talked to a lot of Golden Knight fans, 702-365-9200. Uh, covered today of the Las Vegas Review-Journal says Knights Flurry break the wild curse. A goaltender stops all 20 third-period shots, which he was amazing. We'll get to some of those sound bites in a little bit. Also on the cover of the paper today, what a great paper, fantastic. Vinny Bonsignor, our teammate here, who comes on at 4 o'clock every day, Raiders could have new right side of O-line because the salary cap issues, performance, cuts are possible. So that was a big wake-up call. Vinny writes, while Raiders general manager Mike Mayock would not confirm reports that veteran right guard Gabe Jackson will soon be released, he also didn't deny him. The explanation is Jackson will be cut in a cost-saving move that creates $9.6 million in salary cap relief. And the other cover story was Ed Graney, uh, clearly one of the all-time great sports columnists. He's on our sister station with the press box with Tyler. His cover story, when the 2021 NFL season begins, Carr will be Raiders quarterback. And Ed went into a deep dive on why all that makes sense. And we'll see uh, Derek Carr here as the quarterback of this team. For how long? I, I have no idea. I'm not here to predict what they're going to do with Derek Carr long-term, but Derek Carr is not the problem. And the Raiders could have some problems on their hand if they lose Trent Brown and Gabe Jackson and Nelson Aguilar, uh, and they're going to have to pounce in free agency and have the money to do it. 
Uh, 702-365-9200. We're specifically looking for your Raider opinion on Mayock yesterday. Do you have confidence in Mike Mayock? Do you like what he said? What didn't he say that you want to talk about? Again, I thought the media was fabulous. Those questions were hard. Uh, Mike had to stand up there at the facility and answer every question that came after him, and he answered them all. And he can't tamper. He's not going to talk about other players, but he gave you an idea of what they're trying to do. Uh, Yesterday on the show, Peter King joined us, one of the premier NFL insiders, one of the all-time greats. I asked him about his opinion coming into this season for the Silver and Black. Peter, last one, I'm sure you saw the 30 for 30, Al Davis versus the NFL, Pete Rozelle. It was a big deal out here for the organization. Tom Flores goes into the Hall of Fame, Charles Woodson. Just wanted your big picture on Allegiant Stadium basically opening up finally. There were no fans last year. Mark Davis, Gruden, Mike Mayock. What this team needs to do on defense. They're an 8-8 team that could have won 10 games. Arizona was an 8-8 eight eight team that could have won 10 games. A lot of teams could win or lose a game or two here and there. Where do you see the Raiders heading into this offseason as Vegas is here, but none of the fans have seen the team live yet? Yeah, I mean, look, <clears throat> I really like Mike Mayock. Uh, I think that if you're looking for someone, um, a really, really smart personnel guy, and someone who is uh, going to get this right, I think Mayock is in perfect position to do that. My issue with the Raiders right now is that, you know, and it seems incredible to say this. It seems incredible to say that, you know, that as, as good as I think Mayock is, and I've liked his drafts, I love Jonathan Abram, if, if he can stay healthy, um, as as much as you know, you've seen a lot of positives. You also saw a team that was 30th in the NFL in scoring defense last year. You know, and that is, I mean, that is intolerable you, you, for 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 a franchise that has had a lot of high draft choices. You've got to get more bang for your buck. You know, even though I like Mike Mack, I love his personnel acumen. You got to get more bang for your buck uh, out of the defensive players that you're drafting. I mean, I think that's number one. I think number two is, uh, you know, I think every team right now, especially every team in that division, you know, you've got to make sure that you can play the teams in your division and beat the teams in your division. Nobody last year played the Kansas City Chiefs better than the Las Vegas Raiders. And so that, to me, is a real, real positive. But the problem is, you know, in some of the other games, you know, get, getting blown out at home by the Bucks early on when the Bucks were still in trouble, you know, getting absolutely blown out by the Falcons. Um, and, and, you know, and Atlanta, obviously, a, a totally mediocre team, um, really struggling in two games with the Chargers, barely winning one. It's, you know, this is a team that, that I think you've got to build, especially in the front seven. You've got to build a better defense, uh, and you've just got to make sure that you, know, you play better and more consistently in your division, and you don't have those, you know, those games that you just can't afford to have. 
you know, that Atlanta game, I remember I watched a lot of that and I said, the, 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 the Las Vegas Raiders look like the Toledo Mudhens. They're terrible. And, and so those are the kind of things that this offseason has to be about. It's got to be about shoring up the holes that games like that illustrate that this franchise still has. Very important from Peter King. The guy's a straight shooter. He's a fan of Mike Mayock, but they got to do a better job. they got to hit on more players in the draft. I think everybody, including Mike, will admit to that, and they'll try to do that with this upcoming draft with that 17th pick and what they're going to do. Could they move up and get a better player? Can they stay there? Can they package picks to go out and make a trade? I would hope they would. I mean, all options are on the table here, but the Raiders have to hit a home run. They need a starter on defense that everyone knows is going to start and play at a very high level. That was supposed to be Corey Littleton. That was the guy. The free agent, going to come in, start. He did. He did not play at a high level, at a level that made a difference at all. So, remember, they have him. So, he should play well this year. He's going to have a new opportunity to wipe the slate clean, go in and play under Gus Bradley, and all indications are he's going to have a better year, more comfortable in the system. You add another player along with that, an edge rusher or a linebacker in the draft, and figure out what they're going to do with the secondary, that's the key. The coaching of the young players in the secondary, I believe, is the biggest issue surrounding the Las Vegas Raiders. How to quickly coach up Damon Arnett, Trayvon Mullen, and John Abram to make them much better players. And that's the job of the coaches, including the head coach, that is going to put a lot of time into that. Big Al in San Francisco. Always appreciate you calling, Al. What's happening? No, JT just wants to talk a little bit about the Raiders and so forth. You know, I like Mike Mayock, and I think he's doing. I think he's done a very, very good job with our team. I, you know, obviously there's room for improvement, but we got some very young players. Some of these guys, I wonder if they've had their first shave yet. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt of going up until this year. My major concern with our team, though, is that our right side of our offensive line, one guy is apparently uh, gone just as just a formality, and that's Gabe Jackson, who I think is an exceptionally good football player. And Trent Brown, who was also a very good football player, but it had his issues this past year between some injuries and then, of course, COVID. Um, I just really hope that if Gabe is going to leave, he doesn't land on the Chiefs on a cheap deal. Um, the deals are going to get less this year because the salary cap is less. I think we all acknowledge that. And I would just hate to see him come back and, and have a chance to kick the Raiders twice. That would really bother me. Um, I'd like to see the Raiders find a way to be able to keep Trent Brown. I think last year was just an, an incredibly tough year for, for, you know, for him, uh, physically, emotionally, et cetera. Um, the guy, when he plays, he's known to be a hell of a player. I don't think you give up on guys like that so fast, especially if you don't think that you're, if your blue chip uh, draft pick, which has to be basically your first round draft pick, has to be an edge rusher or a linebacker. So if you can keep this guy and be able to make it work money-wise, you got to do it. And let's just hope Jackson doesn't go to Kansas City because that would be awful. That would be you know, Big awful. Al, you, Big Al, you make a good point about Trent Brown. I mean, you're not going to get a better player. And there are a lot of built-in excuses last year for everything in life. COVID, COVID, COVID. For anybody who's listening to this show, when you talk about evaluating your job, I don't care if you're an accountant, you work at a burger joint, whatever you do for a living, You're going to be evaluated. Last year was one of the most up-and-down years for all humans. So when you look at Trent Brown, there are going to be built-in excuses. 
but don't you believe he's got to prove, and he's got to prove with his weight and the way he looks and his overall health and his mental mindset that he can tell John Gruden that he's going to play every game. This is not the NBA where you get load management. LeBron didn't play last night. You cover the NBA for a living. LeBron took the night off. You can't do that in the NFL. You don't load manage a game. And if I felt like he was load managed last year, that there were uh, several games he could have played where he was not available. I just remember what happened in Cleveland where they had to cart him out there in an ambulance. And it wasn't because of something that happened on the field. Um, so I got to give the man the benefit of the doubt. He played for Bill Belichick and he won a Super Bowl with Bill Belichick. And he was a highly regarded mm-hmm. player in that locker room. And when he played in, in uh, Santa Clara for the 49ers, um, he did a pretty good job there, and you never really heard too much you know, uh, bad stuff about this guy. I just got to look at it as he's a hell of a talent. I have to give him a mulligan because I don't know okay. what happened medically with him, but that was not a good scene in Cleveland. We all know that. And uh, let's are you going to get a better player in the draft? No, no. not in that position. I say you've got to give him another shot. If you, if you have to renegotiate the contract and he's willing to do that to a certain extent, then go ahead, do it. Shake hands and let's get him out there at right tackle and make sure that we have a right guard to compliment him because that's my biggest worry. Thanks, Al. Appreciate it. Always a well-thought-out call. Opens up a phone line for you, 702-365-9200. I have no, no problem at all with Trent Brown coming back if he's completely committed to play, period. I mean, ask Lincoln Kennedy. Uh, Lincoln's always on the radio. Lincoln played the position. Lincoln Kennedy played that position. He's got a new book coming out with Paul Gutierrez, And Lincoln has told me that when he would look across, when he could not go, when Lincoln was injured and could not go, if he saw Rich Gannon getting ready to play, Lincoln taped up because he knew he had to protect his quarterback. He had to be out there. How many times did Derek Carr go out there without Trent Brown to protect him? And that's what concerns me. And maybe this is something Derek needs to talk about or will talk about on the record or on a podcast or we have Whoever he wants to go on, if he talks to his brother on TV, I'd like to know what Derek thinks on this issue. Even though the issue comes down to Mark Davis, John Gruden, and Mike Mayock, that Trent Brown is a hell of a player. Hell of a player. But I was in that building too many times where he had street clothes on and he wasn't able to go. And it's tough to get that it's tough to get that out of your mind. Okay, Bobby tells me he's ready. We get a chance to talk to one of my favorite baseball insiders, Steve Phillips, the former general manager of the Mets MLB radio network, kind enough to join us. Steve, thanks so much today coming in. We really appreciate it. I want to get first off to your comments on Aaron Boone and the pacemaker and what that means for him and the Yankees going forward. Well, it sounds like it's it's nothing to be concerned about. That you know he had heart surgery back about twelve years ago, the last year of his playing career, uh, and. You know, he's having some issues with some fatigue and some lightheadedness. They got in there and realized the heartbeat was slowing down, so they're putting in a pacemaker to regulate that, uh, and that's to avoid problems. So I think that, that you know, he should, from every indication uh, that you're hearing, he should end up being okay and just fine. Uh, Going to miss a few days of spring training, but it doesn't appear, for, for thank goodness, that it's anything that serious. Yeah, we're wishing him well. I just wanted to follow up on the stress of being a GM or especially a manager in New York. I grew up a Yankee fan, and my youth was Billy Martin and Steinbrenner, and that really had a big effect on me, I think, in my career on the radio because my dad and I as kids would see on the local news 
you know, Billy Martin and Steinbrenner going back and forth and getting fired and hired again and the way they'd have those routines at the press conference, it is not easy working in New York and especially being the manager of the Yankees. No, it's it's a very difficult task. There's a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, uh, and, you know, for the healthiest of people, it can be difficult. And, you, and I know for me as a Mets general manager, like I was GM for six years, but they were dog years. So I really think I was a general manager for 42 years is the way I look at it. It, it, it turned my hair white. Uh, and, you know, at the end of my tenure, I don't know that I had more physical life in me to be a general manager. That's why I'm, I'm dumbfounded by guys like Brian Cashman, who have done it for as long as he has, for John Scherholz, who had and John Hart, who had like 26-year careers. Uh, it ate me up. Uh, it literally devoured me, the, con- you know, the continuous stress and, and obsession of trying to do things. I couldn't put it in a healthy place. So uh, it's a lot. You've got to really stay healthy uh, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually to be able to deal with those stresses, and not everybody can handle it. Steve Phillips joins us. I appreciate you sharing that. So the privacy level, too, walking the streets in New York City or your family at the beach or a restaurant with passionate Met fans over the years, that must have been really interesting for you walking into restaurants and airports and hotels knowing Met fans wanted to talk to you. Yeah, it it was interesting. I mean, Mets fans got to be a lot nicer to me when I was done being general (laughs) manager than when I was the general manager. You know, and even then, I'll never forget walking down the street and somebody, you know, a guy yells, you know, next to his car, hey, Phillips. And I, you know, I kind of keep going, trying not to acknowledge, just keep going, hey, Phillips. And, and so finally I look over and he goes, you're an idiot. And I'm like, all right. Uh, you know, it's just, it's unbelievable. Uh, and, uh, you know, everybody has an opinion. I remember doing uh, Mike and the Mad Dog, WFAN Radio in New York, that great talk show. And it was before winter meetings one year. And, and they were at a remote location at this hotel bar across from the stadium, the old Shea Stadium. And I went over there and did a, uh, you know, was going to do a segment with them. And there were all kinds of fans there. You know, they're there on the remote location trying to be there for it. And so, you know, I walk, I walk in and they introduce me. Uh, yeah, I like to walk in Steve Phillips. And people literally, arms linked away from me, put their hands over their mouth. They're like, boo. You suck. <laughs> and I looked at him and said, oh, I'd like to thank the Mets fans for the warm welcome. Uh, and, you know, you laugh it off a bit. But, you know, it, you, people can say you have to have thick skin. Some of that stuff goes right to your soul. But what was amazing was that winter meetings was up in Boston. It was the Alomar year. We traded for Alomar. We ended up signing Mobron. And, and I went from being the, the village idiot to being celebrated after those meetings. I could have gone to any restaurant and eaten for free. And then by the next June, when the guys didn't play well, I couldn't get a free meal anywhere. So it's, it's, uh, uh, it is a fickle environment. There's no question about that, that can, that can eat at uh, even the healthiest of people. Steve Phillips, this is a great story. Steve, let's move to the economic impact of COVID and what you've seen in the offseason, the big contract for Tatis and the Padres. First off, it's great to see the Padres spending this money, ownership really having the bank and the liquidity to go out there and pay for players. They were even the hunt for Bryce Harper and didn't get him with Machado and Tatis and that pitching staff. I love what they're doing, but did you think more money would be would have been spent in the offseason? Big picture stuff from you on the offseason and the money that was spent. Yeah, so I, look, I think the Dan Lozano, the agent for uh, – 
Fernando Tatis Jr., also represented Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Joey Votto, Mike Piazza back in the day. And so I've got a real relationship with him, does a great job. And that's one of the most prolific contracts we've ever seen. 14-year contract for a guy that I think has played 145 games at the major league level. Like, it's unheard of, the contract that they got. He's a great kid, great player, and I get it. Uh, but it's an extraordinary deal. Um, you know, I, I think that I'm not shocked by the way the offseason went. I, I, because here's the thing. I 100% believe the losses that are being claimed by owners. I, I, I know that they took huge losses last year from my experience in the front office of not having fans, the shortened season, uh, and the impact on television rights and advertising and sponsorship deals and all of the money and, and ways that they can generate revenue, it crushed clubs. And so you're talking $3 billion as an industry. And so I'm not surprised that teams were, were you know, for the most part, were very careful. We've, we saw, I think, uh, just a couple of multi-year deals for pitchers, the Bauer deal and the Taiwan Walker deal, and I think Mike Minor. But otherwise, pitchers took one-year deals. I mean, it was, it was amazing uh, what happened. And so you got Jake Odorizzi still looking for a job. And so – uh, I'm not surprised by it because it's making up for losses from last year and the anticipated losses from this year, which will stem from having just partial attendance in stadiums, at least probably until the all-star break or somewhere around there, I would think, July 1st maybe, uh, to where it could be expanded. So uh, I- I'm not shocked by it at all. Steve Phillips is our guest. What's going on in Boston, in your opinion? Is it a soft reset? Are they trying? It feels like almost an NFL team that's trying to clear out cap space and then wait a year and go in big again with what the Yankees are doing in the East and the strength of some of the teams close to Boston. Uh, Boston fans are not happy, the ones on this show, and it almost seems like Boston fans are waiting. They're understanding that there's some type of rebuild going on. Yeah, well, there is. I, I don't have any question about that, uh, that they're not, they're not in it to win it this year uh, at all. Uh, they're in it uh, to retool uh, and rebuild and try to put themselves back together again moving forward. So, uh, you know, it was that way last year, too. And, and, you know, they came into the season with not having enough starting pitching. Then they end up getting Eduardo Rodriguez sick, uh, and then he misses time. Chris Sale ends up with Tommy John surgery. Uh, and so I don't see them as real competitors in this division. I think it's Yankees, Blue Jays, Rays, and then it's the, the, the Red Sox. I mean, they might win 84 games. I wouldn't be shocked at 84. 84, uh, but it's probably going to be less, but I don't see them as a legitimate playoff contender at all. Uh, Seattle, with what happened with their inner management there, uh, do you think Seattle is on the brink? I mean, they, they have to run this baseball operation better and be more transparent with their players. Walk me through what's going on with the Mariners from your perspective as of late and how they get those fans re-energized again for baseball coming up here. Not many are. Yeah, so they're doing what – I mean, here's the good news, is the thing to sell Seattle fans on is take a look at the Padres, and they mm-hmm. tore it down and rebuilt it. Take a look at the Blue Jays. They tore it down and they rebuilt it. The White Sox tore it down and they rebuilt it. The Astros did it. The Royals did it. Uh, and so, you know, the A's have done it. And, and so they're doing what other teams have successfully done, and they're going to be successful too. They've got a, some tremendous young talent. Uh, you know, Jared Kelenic, who, you know, Kevin Mather, their team president uh, and CEO, you know, criticized at the Rotary Club breakfast and you know, later stepped down from his position because of it. Uh, I mean, the reality is that they're not there yet. 
They are rebuilding. They're probably three years away from really being a playoff contender, but they're going to be good. Logan Gilbert, interesting young pitcher. They've got Justice Sheffield there. Uh, you know, Marco Gonzalez is an important part of that rotation. Julio Rodriguez, a young outfield prospect, along with Jared Kelenic, uh, starting to come along. And so uh, Emerson Hancock, a pitcher there. So they've, they've, got some, they've got some arms, and they've got some position players. They're just in the process, and, and it's going to take a little bit of time. They're doing it the right way. Uh, and I think, you know, within three years, I see them being very competitive in that division. Wrapping it up with Steve Phillips. Steve, do you think that Artie Moreno's waiting for that pull holds contract to expire before they go all in on uh, more depth for pitching with Mike Trout? It's such a big story. I'm out west, and I get Angel games in my cable package, and I look for Trout at bats. But, man, I wish they had more talent around him as he's in the absolute prime of his career. So I love Anthony Rendon, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I didn't get the Anthony Rendon signing when they were desperate for pitching. Uh, and, you know, I think that, that it's awfully hard to have the Trout contract, Rendon contract, and I get the Pujols deals coming to an end, but the idea that they've got that major contract in a third player, uh, I don't know that that's the way to do it. You know, this isn't the king of his court. You, you need to have, you know, it's not just one player that turns the tide or two or three. It's, it's a team. It's a franchise. And so, uh, I, you know, they definitely need to take uh, off uh, Pujols off the books. And Albert is, you know, it's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's arguably one of the best hitters to ever play the game. He's on the back end of it. Uh, but, you know, I look at the team this year, and, you know, people say they need to sign Jake Odorizzi. I'm like, they've got five Jake Odorizzi's already in their rotation. They're all the same guy. Mm-hmm. You know, they're good number three, number four starters and good guys. They keep you in a game. Nobody's going to shut anybody out. Nobody's going to be overwhelming. And, and so uh, they need and, – and the Otani piece for me, I, I don't think the two-way player works. I think you get less of a pitcher and less of a hitter than you would if and, – and, and I don't know that that has the value that you're looking for for a part-time DH and a part-time pitcher. Uh, I, I, it, it compromises both ends of building a team. So I don't know. I, I think that they've got to figure out the Otani piece in that too and either make him a DH and let him be a position player, although I think he can play the outfield if they want to make him a position player, or make him a pitcher. But once a week pitching and then taking three days off of DHing around your pitching compromises your offense and your pitching staff and how you manage it. So I think they've got a, a number of things still to work out there. Uh, I do think Perry Manazzi, the general manager, is going to do a terrific job, though, and he's done a nice job trying to piece things together here quickly. Steve Phillips, as we wrap it up, finally, Steve, Major League Baseball to have the annual Lou Gehrig Day on June 2nd. I love it. I think it's important. I'm, I think it's very important for young millennials and young fans coming up to understand the courage of Lou Gehrig and what he went through on top of him being a Mount Rushmore player, one of the greatest players of all time. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a great thing. I, I you know, again, I, I, one to be able to bring awareness uh, to Lou Gehrig's disease (ALS), uh, in addition to celebrating the history and tradition of the game and the great player that he was, uh, I think is important. And I think that that you know, one thing that I that all sports should be proud of, and fans should be proud, proud of the sports, understanding that they're citizens in a community, that 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 the team has a responsibility to the community. Uh, to be able to give back, and there's a way to do that from a charitable perspective, and 
to bring attention to the history and tradition of the game. So it's a nice way to bring that together uh, and to recognize it moving forward. And I think it'll be good for baseball and for uh, raising money and awareness around the, that dreaded disease. Thanks, Steve. Good to catch up with you. I always appreciate our conversations. Thank you. You bet. My pleasure. Thanks very much. My pleasure, Steve. What a nice surprise. Steve Phillips. Being an all-purpose sports talk show, that's a nice major league hit. Larry McReynolds from NASCAR on Fox and Ashley from Sam and Ash. We never slow down. Every day is a big day and a big show thanks to you and Raider Nation Radio. The winner of the 63rd running of the Daytona 500 is indeed Michael McDowell. They can go ahead and celebrate now. It will be a victory by mere inches. McDowell wins the Daytona 500. Yep, and we had McDowell on the show a couple of weeks ago, and now NASCAR's in Vegas, and it is huge for our economy. And Larry McReynolds from NASCAR on Fox, longtime guest, is able to check in. Larry Mack, great to talk to you from the long road trip from Homestead to Vegas. What's it like for these drivers and their teams to make such a long haul out here? You know what? It's probably changed a lot since my days as a crew chief. Of course, that was over two decades ago. You know, we didn't have near the depth that these teams have today. You know, when these guys go off racing now, the number of guys left back in the shop is probably 8, 10, 12 times the number of guys you actually carry the racetrack. And, of course, under this COVID protocol that we're still under right now, a lot of teams are still keeping their road crew separate from their shop crew. A lot of the road crew does not even go to the shop. Uh, that's starting to, to ease up a little bit, but that's kind of how they've been operating now for almost a year since this thing struck last March. But honestly, I'd be willing to bet these cars it's going to be racing out west over the next two weeks, Las Vegas this weekend, and then Phoenix the following weekend. These cars were probably close to being ready to go maybe even before the 2021 season started two or three weeks ago. Just the, the, the way these guys stay ahead of the curve on things and the planning and the depth, the number of people at the shop working. Uh, yeah, it's a long plane ride probably on Friday or Saturday for the cup teams, but that's, that's about the extent of it. Larry McReynolds joins us. Give me a couple of big takeaways from Daytona through Homestead in Florida. Who's peaking at the right time? Who are you surprised by? Who needs to get going here? I'm surprised at everything, <laughs> everything. You know, normally by the time we get through race number three, and I said this on Race Hub the other night, we would be talking about Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Joey Logano, Kyle Busch, kind of the normal cast of characters. But here we are three weeks into the season, and we're talking about McDowell, Bell, and Byron. I don't think anybody saw that coming. And, you know, we kind of knew – Expect the unexpected, as always, in the Daytona 500 being a super speedway. And quite honestly, even the road course uh, at Daytona. But we felt like when we got to a mile-and-a-half track like Homestead this past weekend, that we'd see the normal group up there. And when it was all said and done, William Byron gets his second career win. Michael McDowell, another top-ten finish for that 34 car. 
We're just seeing names that we normally don't see. And I can't sit here and put my finger on why because we've really not had any rule changes. But as far as drivers that that need to get in gear, uh, Kyle Busch, you know, coming to his home track this weekend has just not had a good start. It's almost like it's picked up right where it left off most of last year, even though we got that win at Texas near the end of the year. Uh, Matt DiBenedetto, the Wood Brothers, they finished second at both the Vegas races last year. And I'm not even sure he has a top 25 finish yet to start 2021. So we got a lot of new, unfamiliar names at the front, but we got some familiar names that's kind of dug a hole already. Yeah, digging a hole is interesting to me. And when we've talked, I've talked to you for well over a decade, going on 15 years when we get to stage racing now where a driver comes out, say, in Vegas, and in that first stage, the priority to win it compared to drivers that are laying back and want to win the entire race and stay out of the big wreck. What's the difference between the Las Vegas Motor Speedway and Daytona when it comes to the big one and bump drafting and really the way you want to challenge yourself to try to be there on that final lap there? What are some of the highs and lows of Vegas? Yeah, you know, really the only two places, the only two tracks that drivers really maybe try to stay out of the eye of the storm and maybe lay back and don't worry about stage points or stage wins would be our two super speedways because everybody is so bunched up in a big pack the way the draft works. Now, we still run some fast speeds at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. The draft still comes into play. But out there, come Sunday, you know, you're, you're going to try to score every stage point you possibly can and ultimately try to win both stages and win the race. Uh, the tire give up there is not as great as it what it was this past weekend at another mile and a half. The grip level at Las Vegas is a little greater. So what you'll see uh, with the way the fuel mileage is and the way the stage work out, they'll probably break the first two stages in half to take advantage of fresh tires equal amounts in the first two stages and then just try to see where the cautions fall in that third and final stage, and you'll probably have to make at least one pit stop in that final stage. So it's not unusual to have green flag stops at Vegas. It's a very tough pit road to get onto under green. The entrance to pit road is almost right in the middle of turn four, and it never fails, especially under green flag pit stop conditions. Drivers tend to get busted for speeding on pit road, which can certainly take you right out of the opportunity to win the race. Larry McReynolds is our guest. NASCAR on Fox, teammate on Sirius XM. NASCAR, fantastic analyst, legendary crew chief. So going out west, Take me back, Larry, back in the days and when the sport was exploding and from Petty to Earnhardt, the late, great Dale Earnhardt, when you thought about going out west, Fox where you work for, the Fox lot based out west and them trying to get the sport growing out west and Vegas now with two races, what do you think when you go from Florida in the south and you come out to Vegas and the growth of the sport out here? Well, yeah, for years, especially in my early part of my career, and, you know, I've, I've been in now over 40 years. My first year was 1980. We used to come out west two or three times a year, but it was to one racetrack and one tra- racetrack only, and, and that was Riverside, California, the road course out there near Los Angeles. We would normally uh, – there were a point in time we actually started the season in Riverside. We'd go there before the Daytona 500 – and then we'd go back there again in June, and then that's where we ended the season for a number of years. Of course, Riverside went away 
at the end of 1988. And then in 1989, we started going to another road course, but obviously up the road a little bit from L.A. up to Sonoma, California. And then 1988 was actually the first year we started racing Phoenix. So Phoenix and Sonoma, one trip a year, that was our two trips out west, and they were totally different times of the season. Normally Sonoma in the spring, uh, in uh, Phoenix late summer, early fall. And then uh, Las Vegas opened up, I think, in 1998. And then we started going to Auto Club Speedway in the late 90s. And we're kind of sad that we're not going to be running Auto Club Speedway because I thought that really helped the popularity of our sport out west Mm -hmm. a few years ago when we started doing what we called the West Coast Swing. And that was all three of the West Coast races, Auto Club in Ontario, Phoenix, as well as Las Vegas, back to back to back. But the good news is we're still doing Phoenix and Vegas back to back. But I think to run as many tracks as we now run out west, uh, I do think that's a big check mark that how popular the sport has become out there on the west coast. Larry, finally, I haven't talked to you since the 20th anniversary of the passing of Dale Earnhardt. Uh, your great friend, partner, and I can't imagine the memories that came back. I was there that day. Uh, during the race and afterwards, and I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, what can you tell us 20 years later about his legacy with the sport and the impact he had? Well, you know, I tell a lot of people when we talk about that crash on the final lap of the 2001 Daytona 500, as tragic as it was, as much as we all still miss him today, I think about him almost every single day, not just not just on the anniversary of his death, not just when we go to Daytona. I think about him almost every single day as I do another driver I worked with that's not with us anymore, Davey Allison. Mm-hmm. But the, to me, one of his big legacies, and it was kind of obviously unintended, but to know that accident that took his life, the way it changed our sport in the form of safety. Uh, I think our sport was working on safety when Dale got killed, but it was not near at the rate that we needed to be working on it. But I think when that happened that day on February 18th of 2001, it ramped up everybody's efforts on safety. Uh, The tracks, NASCAR, the teams, the manufacturers, the drivers, everybody. And to look where we're at today, 20 years later, with safety, uh, I'm not going to be bold enough to say we wouldn't be where we're at had it not been for that accident, but I take a, a guess and say we might not be where we're at today had we not lost uh, the icon of our sport, Dale Earnhardt. LarryMcReynolds.com. Go to the website, LarryMcReynolds.com. See everything Larry's doing. Listen to him on SiriusXM. Check him out on Big Fox. Larry, good to talk to you. Appreciate it. I'm excited. Uh, NASCAR's in Vegas. I'll be out there. Thanks so much for the time again. No, we appreciate it. Thanks, Larry. Thank you for checking in. Larry's out here. Vegas is ready for NASCAR. I'm ready to talk to Ashley coming up next from Sam and Ash, your personal injury attorneys. What should you do if you get in a car accident? Easy. SamandAsh.com, SamandAshLaw.com, because you deserve what's right. Ashley on deck, and we'll wrap it up. Carlson wins the faceoff against Joel Eriksson at 
Couple of Swedes in a circle. But a takeaway, puck in front, Fleury a sliding save! Oh, a point-blank stop for Marc-Andre Fleury! My goodness, he's done it again! I tell you, I could do five hours on the Golden Knights without a commercial. I love this team. I love the way they're playing. I love Sam and Ash. They're our partners here. Sam and Ash, because you deserve what's right. 702-820-1234. If you get into an accident, salmonashlaw.com. They will take care of you. Ashley, good to talk to you. I appreciate you. Your Lakers are in a little bit of trouble, but you're checking in after a Laker loss. How are you? I'm alive. They lost. I'm still alive. Um, yeah, you know what? It's early. I'm not too concerned about it. You Laker fans are never concerned. You just got a recent championship. You had Kareem Magic, the glory years. It must be great to be a Laker fan because you always think you're going to win, right? Always. Always. The Raptors prove it. Yeah, absolutely. The Raptors, uh, the Raptors do prove it. Hey, you know, I did a big podcast on the Tiger Woods accident, and I wanted to have you on because I know there's more to that accident. I know it. That was not an accident, a fender bender. That was a violent accident that could have hurt a lot of people. The fact that he only injured himself and no one was hurt other than him in that accident, do you think it's playing out correctly with the L.A. Sheriff there in Los Angeles? You know, I, I do, um, and you're absolutely right. This accident is really, really, um, the damage we all saw is pretty extensive, and thankfully the only things uh, that were hurt are the car, some property, and, and Tiger, and no one else. I mean, there's that story up in Missouri with Brett Reed where there's a little girl who's been severely injured, and so that's the, the takeaway. We can be thankful that the injuries and the damage is what it is, but as the L.A. Sheriff's, you know, they're proceeding – in a normal fashion, they've got traffic collision investigators that need to figure out what the cause of this accident was. You know, was Tiger, was there road rage? Was he on his cell phone, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's where they go to, um, they look at all the evidence. They've got a lot of damage. They've got grave injuries. So was there a crime involved? Um, and if so, if there's a misdemeanor or felony crime involved, then they go to a warrant to try and get evidence to prove it. And here the, the crime is, misdemeanor reckless driving and so these investigators are going to get this black box to figure out how fast was he going was he using his seatbelt his seatbelt was he on his cell phone and all this these various data points that the box will give them to figure out if a crime was um, committed but the interesting thing even if a crime's committed they have to push it off to the LADA to prosecute it Mm -hmm. and I just don't see a, a district attorney proceeding on prosecuting this when there was no true victim other than Tiger Ashley Jones of Sam and Ash, Sam and Ash Law, because you deserve what's right. So why do you think the sheriff wanted to see the black box? I thought that they moved through that investigation at the scene very quickly, and the sheriff went publicly and said there was no alcohol involved, and it seemed like they were moving on. Was there pressure to get the information, or is there ongoing pressure for the black box? Oh, I don't think there was any, like, outside pressure um i think it's Mm -hmm. internal these these traffic collision investigators they have an an accident they go out there and they take all the data measurements photographs etc and and they need to figure out what the cause of the accident was and that can take months you know it's similar to the kobe bryant helicopter you know the 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 wreckage was all cleaned up relatively quickly but the investigation took almost a year if not over a year to figure out what the cause of the accident was. So these investigations, even though no one's out in the field, they still, they still happen 
um, behind closed doors in, in an office setting. And so that's what these investigators are doing. They're looking at all the data points, trying to figure out a cause, and they think that black box has data that will help them get to the answer. Yeah, I think there's so much more to this story. I Just a hunch, and we've been podcasting and talking about it. Ashley joins us, Sam and Ash. They're friends of the program, and they will do all the work. So you don't have to. Give them a call, 702-820-1234. So this week, we've had a lot of newsmakers on, the owner of the Golden Knights, the president of not only the Aviators, but the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And I'm sensing in their voices, they're, some of them are frustrated with what's happening with opening up the city and getting more fans to go. So the Golden Knights with 2,500, Bill Foley wanting to get sellouts. How do you think this town is opening up politically on this issue? And are you you encouraged what you're seeing downtown? You know, downtown, I, I am encouraged. I see more and more people out on the streets, in the casinos, in the restaurants, and that's nice. I don't know why these, um, these teams and these events uh, are getting kind of unfair treatment here. And, and mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm, I wish the Knights and the Las Vegas Speedway, they could all open under similar limp restrictions that everyone else is, is playing by. And, and I'm, I'm hoping as numbers continue to decrease, more vaccinations occur, that we can start to actually rapidly open up and, and, and hopefully get back to normal. I mean, fans want to be in the stadium. They want to be in the crowd. They want to cheer on their team. And, you know, it's been over a year, and everyone's, I think, over um, just sitting on the couch and being a couch fan. Yeah, I agree. We watch a lot of hockey, and I know you love the Raiders, and as you look out and you see that Allegiant Stadium here, knowing tours are going through there now, are you optimistic about that because that's not a ice arena with 18,000 or six or 7,000 for a ball game. We're talking about 65-plus thousand people getting back into Allegiant Stadium. Yeah, but you know, Allegiant Stadium, when you're in it, it's much more open air. You can open those yeah. one-eye doors and get and get a breeze. So it's, it is a different scenario. You know, those outdoor arenas, like Las Vegas Speedway, outdoors. You know, I, I think we have to take all of that into account with what we've learned over the past year and, and move forward. And, you know, to March 2021 is a very different situation than March 2020. We've got vaccinations. We have better science. We have a better understanding of everything. And so I don't think we can continue to... Um, hold old standards and beliefs to, to what we know now. Hey, finally, you guys put out on your social media today why you're so good in both Nevada and California. Can you elaborate on that, on what you can do in both states? Because we have so many people going and coming, leaving, coming back, and your expertise there across the state. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that's primary in a in an injury case is your treatment, your medical treatment. And we've got offices in California and Las Vegas, and we have coordination with medical offices um, in both states. We understand how they work. We understand those, those medical networks. We also understand the laws, the nuances, you know, for both um, states. The laws aren't the same. The way the, the carriers act, the insurance companies act, it's not the same. It's different from each state. And so the lucky part about having a, a lawyer with two offices and that are full and capable in both states and not just a satellite is, you know, you're not getting any short, you know, I think there's a lot of Vegas lawyers that try to practice in California and vice versa, and they don't really know what they're doing. And, and we're different. We, we know what we're doing. We, we absolutely know. And and we're experts in it. Yeah. I'm seeing more and more of Vegas attorneys on motorcycles with 
tank tops on and veins popping out. So I'm more, much more comfortable with my friends at Salmon Ash, 702-820-1234, SalmonAshLaw.com. I value our partnership and our friendship even more. Best to Sam, and thanks for coming on, Ash. Oh, I will tell Sam you say hi, and hey, I look forward to being in Allegiance soon with you. You got it. There she is, Ashley from Sam and Ash, a great partner. You hear him on all of our family of stations here. Uh, Bobby, tremendous week. This one will go down as a special one. Uh, Bobby, if I could give you an award, I would. I'll get you a beverage or something. Appreciate everybody. Everybody who listens to the show, if you miss any portion of it, especially all the interviews we had this week from Alex Tuck to Bill Foley to Chris Powell, Don Logan, all the guests that we had, it's at lvsportsnetwork.com. And you can find it there. And thanks for downloading that Raider mobile app and just clicking on the radio and listening to the show. Be good, everybody. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great day.